Chapter 6a of The Shake. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by M. J. Frank. The Shake by E. M. Hull. Chapter 6a. Diana was sitting on the divan in the living room of the tent, lingering over her petit déjeuner, a cup of coffee poised in one hand, and her bright head bent over a magazine on her knee. It was a French periodical of fairly recent date, left a few days before by a Dutchman who was touring through the desert, and who had asked a night's hospitality. Diana had not seen him and it was not until the traveller had been served with dinner in his own tent that the sheik had sent the usual flowery message, conveying what, though wrapped in honeyed words, amounted practically to a command that he should come to drink coffee and let himself be seen. Only native servants had been in attendance, and it was an Arab untinged by any Western influence who had received him, talking only Arabic, which the Dutchman spoke fluently and placing at his disposal himself, his servants, and all his belongings with a perfunctory oriental insincerity, which the traveller knew meant nothing, and accepted at its own value. Returning to the usual set phrases, the customary answers that were expected of him. Once or twice as they talked, a woman's subdued voice had reached the Dutchman's ears from behind the thick curtains but he knew too much to let any expression betray him, and he smiled grimly to himself at the thought of the change that an indiscreet question would bring to the stern face of his grave and impassive host. He was an elderly man with a tender heart, and he wondered speculatively what the girl in the next room would have to pay for her own indiscretion in allowing her voice to be heard. He left the next morning early without seeing the sheikh again, escorted for some little distance by Yusef and a few men. Diana read eagerly. Anything fresh to read was precious. She looked like a slender boy in the soft riding shirt and smart-cut breeches, one slim foot in a long brown boot drawn up under her, and the other swinging idly against the side of the divan. She finished her coffee hastily, and, lighting a cigarette, leaned back with a sigh of content over the magazine. Two months had slipped away since her mad flight, since her dash for freedom that had ended in tragedy for the beautiful Silver Star, and so unexpectedly for herself. Weeks of vivid happiness that had been mixed with poignant suffering, for the perfect joy of being with him was marred by the passionate longing for his love. Even her surroundings had taken on a new aspect. Her happiness colored everything. The eastern luxury of the tent and its appointments no longer seemed theatrical, but the natural setting of the magnificent specimen of manhood who surrounded himself by all the display dear to the heart of the native. How much was for his own pleasure? and how much was for the sake of his followers, she had never been able to determine. 
the beauties and attractions of the desert had multiplied a hundred times the wild tribesmen with their primitive ways and savagery had ceased to disgust her and the free life with its constant exercise and simple routine was becoming indefinitely dear to her the camp had been moved several times always towards the south and each change had been a source of greater interest and since the night that he had carried her back in triumph he had been kind to her kind beyond anything that she had expected he had never made any reference to her fight or to the death of the horse that he had valued so highly in that he had been generous the episode over he wished no further allusion to it but there was nothing beyond kindness the passion that smouldered in his dark eyes often was not the love she craved it was only the desire that her uncommon type and her utterly dissimilarity from all the other women who passed through his hands had awakened in him the perpetual remembrance of those other women brought her a constant burning shame that grew stronger every day a shame that was only less strong than her ardent love and a wild jealousy that tortured her with doubts and fears an ever-present demon of suggestion reminding her of the past when it was not she who lay in his arms not her lips that received his kisses the knowledge that the embraces she panted for had been shared by les autres was an open wound that would not heal she tried to shut her mind to the past she knew that she was a fool to expect the abstinence of a monk in the strong virile desert man and she was afraid for the future she wanted him for herself alone wanted his undivided love and that he was an arab with oriental instincts filled her with continual dread dread of the real future about which she never dared to think dread of the passing of his trenchant desire she loved him so passionately so completely that beyond him was nothing he was all the world she gave herself to him gladly triumphantly as she would give her life for him if need be but she had schooled herself to hide her love to yield apathetically to his caresses and to conceal the longing that possessed her she was afraid that the knowledge that she loved him would bring about the disaster she dreaded the words that he had once used remained continually in her mind if you loved me you would bore me and i should have to let you go and she hid her love closely in her heart it was difficult and it hurt her to hide it from him and to assume indifference it was difficult to remember that she must make a show of reluctance when she was longing to give unreservedly she dropped the end of the cigarette hissing into the dregs of the coffee and turned a page and as she did so she looked up suddenly the magazine dropping unheeded on the floor close outside the tent 
the same low vibrating baritone was singing the kashmiri love song that she had heard last the night before she left biskra she sat tense her eyes growing puzzled pale hands i loved beside the shalimar where are you now who lies beneath your spell the voice came nearer and he swept in still singing and came to her pale hands pink tipped he sang stopping in front of her and catching her fingers in his up to his lips but she tore them away before he kissed them you do know english she cried sharply her eyes searching his he flung himself on the divan beside her with a laugh because i sing an english song he replied in french la la i heard a spanish boy singing in carmen once in paris who did not know a word of french beside the score he learned it parrot-like as i learn your english songs he added smiling she watched him light a cigarette and her forehead wrinkled thoughtfully it was you who sang outside the hotel in biskra that night she asked at last more statement than question one is mad sometimes especially when the moon is high he replied teasingly and was it you who came into my bedroom and put the blank cartridges in my revolver his arm stole round her drawing her to him and he lifted her head up so that he could look into her eyes do you think that i would have allowed anybody else to go to your room at night i an arab when i meant you for myself you were so sure he laughed softly as if the suggestion that any plan of his could be liable to miscarriage amused him infinitely and the smouldering passion flamed up in his dark eyes he strained her to him hungrily as if her slim body lying against his had awakened the sleeping fires within him she struggled against the pressure of his arm averting her head always cold he chided kiss me little piece of ice she longed to and it almost broke her heart to persevere in her efforts to repulse him a wild desire seized her to tell him that she loved him to make an end once and for all of the misery of doubt and fear that was sapping her strength from her and abide by the issue but the spark of hope that lived in her heart gave her courage and she fought down the burning words that sought utterance forcing indifference into her eyes and a mutinous pout to her lips his black brows drew together slowly still disobedient you said you would obey me i loathe the english but i thought their word she interrupted him with a quick gesture and turning her face to his for the first time kissed him voluntarily brushing his tanned cheek with swift cold lips 
he laughed disdainfully. Bon Dieu, has the hot sun of the desert taught you no better than that? Have you learned so little from me? Has the vile climate of your detestable country frozen you so thoroughly that nothing can melt you? Or is there some man in England who has the power to turn you from a statue to a woman? he added with an angry snarl. She clenched her hands with the pain of his words. "'There is no one,' she muttered. "'But I—I I don't feel like that.' "'You had better learn,' he said thickly. "'I am tired of holding an icicle in my arms.' and sweeping her completely into his masterful grasp, he covered her face with fierce, burning kisses. And for the first time she surrendered to him wholly, clinging to him passionately, and giving him kiss for kiss with an absolute abandon of all resistance. At last he let her go, panting and breathless, and leaped up, drawing his hand across his eyes. "'You go to my head, Diane,' he said, with a laugh that was half anger, and shrugging his shoulders moved across the tent to the chest where the spare arms were kept, and unlocking it, took out a revolver and began to clean it. She looked at him bewildered. What had he meant? How could she reconcile what he said with the advice that he had given her before? Was he totally inconsistent? Did he, after all, want the satisfaction of knowing that he had made her love him, of flattering himself on the power he exercised over her? Did he care that he was able to torture her heart with a refinement of cruelty that took all and gave nothing? Did he wish her to crawl abjectly to his feet, to give him the pleasure of spurning her contemptuously? Or was it only that he wanted her senses merely to respond to his ardent Eastern temperament? Her face grew hot and shamed. She knew the fiery nature that was hidden under his impassive exterior, and knew the control he exercised over himself, knew, too, that the strain he put upon himself was liable to be broken with unexpected suddenness. It was an easy thing to rule his wild followers, and she guessed that the relaxation that he looked for in the privacy of his own tent meant more to him than he would ever have admitted, than perhaps he even knew. The hatred and defiance with which she had repelled him had provoked and amused him, but it had also at times angered him. He was very human, and there must have been moments when he wanted a willing mate rather than a rebellious prisoner. She gave a quick sigh as she looked at him. He was so strong, so vigorous, so intensely alive. It was going to be very difficult to anticipate his moods and be subservient to his temper. She sighed again wearily. If she could but make him and keep him happy, 
She ruffled her loose curls, tugging them with a puzzled frown, a trick that was a survival of her nursery days, when she clutched frantically at her red-gold mop to help her settle any childish difficulty. She knelt up suddenly on the cushions of the divan. "'Why do you hate the English so bitterly, Monseigneur?' She had dropped almost unconsciously into Gaston's mode of address for some time. It was often awkward to give him no name, and she shrank from using his own. And the title fitted him. He looked up from his work, and, gathering the materials together, brought them over to the divan. "'Light me a cigarette, Sherry. My hands are busy,' he replied irrelevantly. She complied with a little laugh. "'You haven't answered my question.' He polished the gleaming little weapon in his hand for some time without speaking. "'Ma petite Diane, your lips are of an adorable redness, and your voice is music in my ears. But I detest questions. They bore me to a point of exasperation,' he said at last lightly and started humming the Kashmiri song again. She knew him well enough to know that all questions did not bore him, but that she must have touched some point connected with the past of which she was ignorant that affected him, and to prove her knowledge she asked another question. "'Why do you sing? You have never sung before.' He looked at her with a smile of amusement at her pertinacity. "'Inquisitive one. I sing because I am glad, because my friend is coming.' "'Your friend?' "'Yes, by Allah, the best friend a man ever had, Raoul de Saint-Hubert.' She flashed a look at the bookcase with a jerk of her head, and he nodded. "'Coming here?' she queried and the dismay she felt sounded in her voice. He frowned in quick annoyance at her tone. "'Why not?' he said haughtily. "'No reason,' she murmured, sinking down among the cushions again, and picking up the magazine from the floor. The advent of a stranger, a European, was a shock. But she felt that the sheikh's eyes were on her, and she determined to show no feeling in his presence. "'What time will you be ready to ride?' she asked indifferently, with a simulated yawn, flirting over the pages. "'I can't ride with you to-day. I am going to meet Saint-Hubert. His courier only came an hour ago. It is two years since I have seen him.' Diana slipped off the couch and went to the open doorway. A detachment of men were already waiting for him, and close by the tent, Shaitan of the ugly temper was biting and fidgeting in the hands of the grooms. She scowled at the beautiful, wicked creature's flat-laid ears and rolling eyes. She would have backed him fearlessly herself if the sheikh had let her. But she was nervous for him every time he rode the vicious beast. No one but the sheikh could manage him, and though she knew that he had perfect mastery over the horse, she never lost the feeling of nervousness, 
a sensation the old Diana had never, never experienced, and she wished to-day that it had been any other horse but Shaitan waiting for him. She went back to him slowly. It makes my head ache to stay in all day. May Gaston not ride with me? she asked diffidently, her eyes anywhere but on his face. He had not allowed her to ride with any one except himself since her attempted escape, and to her tentative suggestions that the rides with the valet might be resumed, he had given a prompt refusal. He hesitated now, and she was afraid he was going to refuse again, and she looked up wistfully. "'Please, Monseigneur,' she whispered humbly. He looked at her for a moment with his chin squarer than usual. "'Are you going to run away again?' he asked bluntly. Her eyes filled slowly with tears, and she turned her head away to hide them. "'No, I am not going to run away again,' she said very low. "'Very well, I will tell him. "'He will be delighted, le bon Gaston.' He is your very willing slave in spite of the trick you played on him. He has a beautiful nature, le pauvre diable. He is not an Arab, eh, little Diane? The mocking smile was back in his eyes as he turned her face up to his in the usual peremptory way. Then he held out the revolver he had been cleaning with sudden seriousness. I want you to carry this always now when you ride. Ibrahim Omer is still in the neighborhood. She looked at it blankly. But, she stammered, he knew what was in her mind, and he stooped and kissed her lightly. I trust you, he said quietly, and went out. She followed him to the door, the revolver dangling from her hand, and watched him mount and ride away. His horsemanship was superb, and her eyes glowed as they followed him. She went back into the tent and slipped the revolver into the holster he had left lying on a stool, and tucking it and Saint-Hubert's novel, which she took from the bookcase under her arm, went into the bedroom, and calling to Zilla to pull off her riding boots, threw herself on the bed to laze away the morning and to try and picture the author from the book he had written. She hated him in advance. She was jealous of him and of his coming. The sheikh's sudden new tenderness had given rise to a hope she hardly dared allow herself to dwell upon. Might not the power that she had exercised over other men be still extended to him, in spite of the months that he had been indifferent to anything except the mere physical attraction she had for him. Was it not possible that out of that attraction might develop something finer and better than the primitive desire she had aroused? Oriental though he was, might he not be capable of a deep and lasting affection? He might have loved her, if no outside influence had come to interrupt the routine that had become so intimately a part of his life. Those other episodes to which he had referred so lightly had been a matter of days or weeks, not months, as in her case. 
he might have cared but for the coming of this Frenchman. She hurled Saint-Hubert's book across the room in a fit of girlish rage, and buried her head in her arms. He would be odious, a smirking, conceited egotist. She had met several French writers, and she visualized him contemptuously. His books were undoubtedly clever, so much the worse. He would be correspondingly inflated. His novel revealed a passionate emotional temperament that promised to complicate the situation if he should be pleased to cast an eye of favor on her. She writhed at the very thought, and that he was to see her was evident. The sheikh had left no orders to the contrary. It was not to be the case of the Dutch traveller, when the fact that she belonged to an Arab had been brought home to her effectually by Ahmed ben Hassan's peremptory commands, and she had experienced for the first time the sensation of a woman kept in seclusion. End of section 6a Recording by M. J. Frank, Portland, Oregon